10. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of its, his roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of, the, of his ears. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins, and faithfulness the belt of his waist. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, who shall stand as a banner to the people. For the Gentiles shall seek him, and his resting place shall be glorious. Let's pray together. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 2. I laid out a very ambitious text for us. I'm not sure we're going to be able to cover the whole thing, but the Lord gave me extra time, so gird your loins. <laughs> I'm going to begin by reading chapter 2, verse 18, through the close of the chapter, and then we will pick up with chapter 3 once we've covered that. The disciples of John and of the Pharisees were fasting. Then they came and said to him, why do the disciples of John and of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? And as long as they have the, the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days are coming when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, or else the new piece pulls away from the old and the tear is made worse. And no one puts new wine into, an old, into old wineskins, or else the new wine bursts the wineskins, the wine is spilled, and the wineskins are ruined. But new wineskins must be put into new New wine must be put into new wineskins. Now it happened that he went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, 
And as they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, Look, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry, he and those with him, how he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the showbread, which is not lawful to eat except for the priests, and also gave some to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. Now, as we examine this passage, and as we read what came before it, what we find is Jesus came out to begin his public ministry. John the Baptist had come out and initiated his, and done his public ministry, and he is the herald for the king. He is making the way, the road straight in the hearts and minds of the people. He is making the highway straight and taking... He's taking the bumps off the road. He's filling in the potholes. That's actually what it means. Every hill will be made level and every uh, valley will be exalted. That means, um, literally does mean filling the potholes and taking the bumps off the road. Because when the emperor is coming through to examine your your, your province as the governor, you want him to have a pleasant experience. You don't want him being bumped around. That's literally what it means. Well, geez, John the Baptist, that's his role, but the road is in the hearts and minds of the people. And what was his message? Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And every Jewish person that had any reasonable encounter or exposure to the prophets of the Hebrew Scriptures knew what that meant. Judgment is coming. Messiah is going to come, and he is going to separate the sheep from the goats. He's going to pour fire down from heaven. He's going to consume the enemy, and he's going to restore the kingdom that was promised in all of the fullness of its glory. So the judgment followed by the great glory of the kingdom, the paradise that he will initiate. That's what's coming. And John's message and lifestyle represented living out in the wilderness, uh, eating crickets and, and wild honey, and the way he dressed, everything matched that Israel under judgment message that he preached. And then Jesus came, and he's eating and drinking with sinners. And he's having, and he's not fasting, and he's not, he's living the, the glory kingdom lifestyle, and that's his message. What was Jesus' first message to the people? Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And his lifestyle matched that. And of course, we've already seen in chapter 1 and getting into chapter 2, we've seen Jesus spending his 40 days out in the wilderness. And then he, so he's tested, and 40 is the number of testing in the Bible. And then Jesus comes, calls the fishermen. He goes into Capernaum. Capernaum was a uh, town right on the edge of the Sea of Galilee. And the fishermen, uh, the sons of Zebedee, John and uh, Andrew, and 
excuse me, Peter and Andrew and James and John all lived there. It was a big, it was a big fishing. That was a big business. There was the fishing. But Jesus goes into the synagogue. He's preaching, and he is doing things that he is saying. He's speaking with authority, unlike the scribes, unlike the standard draft. He's speaking with authority. Well, you have heard it was said, but I say to you. You've heard it was said, but I say to you, but I say to you, but I say to you. Why? Because he is the Son of God come in the flesh. Who pushed the pens of those Hebrew prophets? He did. He is the actual author of what those prophets... And so what the rabbis got wrong, he has to correct, and he speaks with authority, with authority. And so while he's in the synagogue in Capernaum, this man jumps up who is demon-possessed, And what does the demon say? Let us alone. Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Well, you you know what? That demon told the truth. But there are some people you don't really being you don't really want as your testifier. (laughs) And a demon is definitely on that list. But he was and Jesus cast now. And what was the response of the people? Jesus rebuked him and said, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. Then they, the people in the congregation, were amazed, were all amazed, so that they questioned themselves, saying, What is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And immediately his spread, his fame spread throughout all the region of Galilee. That's a province. It's a big area. Immediately, Jesus goes from the synagogue. He goes to Peter's house. And Peter's mother-in-law is sick and debilitated and very weak. And Jesus comes to her, takes her hand, lifts her up. And she didn't just get healed, start to... No, she got fully energized. (laughs) Completely cleansed of all of the thing that was debilitating her. And she served them. And then as soon as the sun started going down and the Sabbath is concluding, because the Jewish day is from sundown to sundown, the sun is beginning to go down and the streets around Peter's house are packed with people who are demon-possessed, who are... need healing. And Jesus spent several hours healing them. And then Jesus went out before the sun came up, before anybody else is disturbed in the house, he gets up and goes out into the wilderness and starts praying. And the disciples are looking for him, looking for, they finally find him out in the world. What are you doing? What are you doing? We got the, the, the town is packed with people who need healing, who need the demons cast out of them. And, I, 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 I. and Jesus says, no, 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 no. Let's go on to the next towns and, and preach. Why? Because the number one affliction that every single person has is they are dead in their trespasses and sins. They need forgiveness. They need to hear the gospel. They need to hear what only, they need to hear the message from Him that God's mercy is available to them. That's my number one job is to heal the spiritual affliction that is afflicting every single person. 
And so he starts doing that. Then he comes back to Capernaum and he heals many people. He preaches in Galilee. He has said to the, to the apostles, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also because for this purpose I have come forth. And then as he's coming back into the town, he is met by a leper. Probably the same episode described in Matthew chapter 8 where he's preached the Sermon on the Mount. He's coming down and he's coming near the city of Capernaum and he's met by the leper. And the leper says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus says, I am willing. He reaches out and touches the leper. He cleanses the leper and he says, now don't spread this around. You go straight to Jerusalem, present yourself to the priest so he can examine you and present the offering for cleansing so you'll have freedom to be in the culture. And the leper who he had just cleansed completely disobeys him and starts shooting his mouth off to everybody. And so it makes people are pulled away from the principal problem to the secondary problem. The principal problem is the, is the guilt of their sin they need to be cleansed from. And instead they're being pulled away authentically He's also the leper cleanser. He is also the healer. He's also the deliverer from demonic oppression. He is all those things, but the number one goal is for him to preach the gospel, the good news. Um, now, uh, chapter 2. They bring Jesus, then Jesus came to Capernaum. And as soon as he gets into Capernaum, to Peter's house, everybody finds out. The, the whole neighborhood is packed around Peter's house again. And they bring, four men bring a paralyzed young man on their shoulders to Peter's house and they can't get near his house. So they climb up on the roof and that was the way the houses were built. They actually had outside staircases that got, get you up onto the flat roof. They get up there, they pull the roofing away, and they let the young man down. And what does Jesus say? In chapter 2, verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, the faith of the five, the four carrying and the one being carried, he said to the paralytic, and this is Son, your sins are forgiven you. And the Pharisees, scribes, the religious leaders that are there watching are totally offended. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning their hearts, why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Well, you know, Jesus is God. He is the offended party. He has the authority. He has the right to forgive sins. And so he forgives the sins. But that's an invisible miracle. So what's he going to do to prove to the people watching this that he can do that invisible miracle? He's going to do a visible miracle. Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, 
Why do you reason these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk. Now, there are two ways of looking at this. You know what? Jesus said, what is the mightier miracle? The miracle of his sins being forgiven or the miracle of his paralysis being forgiven? The mightier miracle is the cleansing from his sins. It also could be that what they are saying in their minds is, oh, he obviously can't heal this fellow, so he's trying to distract us with this thing about healing, about forgiving sins. And Jesus, it may be that's what's going on. But in any case, Jesus says, in order that you might know that I can do, have the authority to do the invisible miracle, I will do the visible miracle. And he said to the young man, arise, take up your bed, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man... Okay, why do you reason thus in your heart? Your sins are forgiven you. Arise, or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth, the authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. Immediately, immediately he arose took up the bed and went out of the presence of them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. And then the final passage last week we dealt with is Jesus calls Levi, Matthew, the tax collector, to come follow him. And Matthew immediately throws a big banquet in his nice house. And he invites other tax collectors. He invites people with an open reputation of being sinners to this banquet. And Jesus is sitting there. He's in Matthew's house, in Levi's house, enjoying this time together. And the religious leaders are out on the street saying, how is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? Why is he even getting near these people. Then Jesus heard, when Jesus heard it, when word was brought to him, he said to them, those who are well, send this word out to them on the street. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That's why I've come. That's my number one goal calling sinners to repentance that they may be cleansed from their sins. Repent means to change your orientation, change your outlook, abandon your self-righteousness in favor of God's righteousness, which is a gift. The cleansing from the guilt of your sin and Jesus' own righteousness attached to your account. Now, what's wrong with these fellows on the outside that are being critical? They are self-righteous. Do these Pharisees believe that they need forgiveness? No. Why, God is patting me on the head all the time, telling me what a fine fellow I am. Oh, actually, that's Lucifer doing that. They are content in their self-righteousness. Jesus is the great physician for everyone. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but there is no such thing. But those who are sick, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance.
than the new passage, <laughs> today's work. The disciples of John and of the Pharisees, so they were fasting. The same thing, the Pharisees would do, put fasts on themselves to demonstrate to the people. By the way, they made it very clear to people when they were fast because they would do all kinds of, they would put ashes on their, they would do things to parade around so people would know they were fasting so they would get the pat on the head from the culture of what fine, righteous fellows they are. They were fasting, but Jesus and his apostles aren't fasting. They're feasting all the time. And what does Jesus say? They're doing what is appropriate. Actually, what our lifestyle is attached to our message, kingdom blessing. John the Baptist, the first step of the story, restoring the kingdom is dealing with this, the rebellion, the wickedness. Once that's dealt with, then the kingdom blessing can be unrestrained. And my apostles and I are exhibiting that part of the message. And so... Uh, they're not doing what is inappropriate. If they were to be fasting, they would, here I am, I'm, it's as if the bridegroom is here. And so feasting is the appropriate thing to be doing. And so it would be very inappropriate for them, and Jesus uses the two examples of, you know, you got a piece of, of uh, shrunk cloth that's, you know, and it's got a tear in it. You put a piece of cloth on it to mend that repair and you, you use it if you're smart ladies and you ladies all know this use a people a piece of old cloth that's already been shrunk if you use a news piece of cloth the first time you wash it it will shrink and pull away you haven't really solved the problem and the second thing is they would use goat skins as the place where they would put the new wine and it would age in the goat skins well New goatskins have elasticity. They can stretch. So they can, you can put the wine into those prepared goatskins, nice cleaned out goatskins, don't get worried here, nice cleaned out goatskins, put the wine in, and they've got the elasticity to be able to endure that because as the wine is aging, it creates air. It creates, and so it, you have this stretching of the goatskin. But a goatskin can only do that once. Because one, one stretch from the wine fermenting in it is all it can take. If you put new wine into an old goat skin, it doesn't have the elasticity anymore. It's a little bit bigger because it's already been stretched, but it's going to burst open and you'll lose both the wine and the wines. By the way, they made use of those wine skin, those goat skin wine skins after they had a second task for them you don't want to lose them you don't throw them away you use them for clothing <laughs> and other things yeah yeah and so you can you can only use the goat skin one time for that function and after that you make a different use of that goat skin but you never put new wine skin into old goats you never put new wine into old goat skin. Yeah, use it. Yes. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's right. And so, um, they're doing the appropriate thing in the same way that you wouldn't put a new piece of cloth on an old piece of cloth is this, and you wouldn't put new wine into an old goat skin. No, we're doing the new wine and the new wine skin and that's what 
John the Baptist's message required this. My message requires this. It's party time, folks. It's party time. It's, your sins get forgiven. It's party time. Yes, they're rejoicing in heaven every time one sinner repents. It says that in the Scripture. Well, if they're partying in heaven, I get to party down here. Okay? And so Jesus makes that point, and then uh, they're walking through, Jesus and his, his apostles, the next episode, they're walking through the grain fields. It's on the early, early morning on the Sabbath, and they're walking through, and there was, you could, there was a certain distance you could legally travel according to the book of Leviticus on the Sabbath. There's a Sabbath day's journey. This is specific distance. Well, he and his apostles are walking down the road on their way to a synagogue and his also required in the book of Leviticus that when you planted grain, barley, or wheat, you were to leave the outside of your field for strangers walking by or for the poor to come. And so they're walking down the road, they haven't had breakfast, and they're taking the, the barley or the wheat off of the stalk, and they're rubbing it in their hand, blowing the chaff off, and throwing the raw grain in their mouth. And the Pharisees that are watching this are getting all ex- upset. You're working, you're doing a task. <sighs> On the Sabbath, how dare you? And Jesus is like, oh my word. Let me tell you something about the law of God. And this is what Jesus says over and over again. Whenever there is a conflict between the spirit of the law and the letter of the law, they had the right, which wasn't very often, but when it did occur, you were allowed to set aside the letter of the law in favor of the spirit of the law. What is the spirit of the law? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Whenever there is a conflict between the spirit of the law and the letter of the law, you are able to set aside the letter of the law. And Jesus gives the example they all know about when David fled from Saul, who had sent a hit squad after him. (laughs) David and some men went with him, and they went to the tabernacle. And David said to the priest, do you have any food here that we can eat? Because I had to leave Jerusalem so fast. We had to leave Jerusalem so fast. We don't have any food or weapons. Well, the only thing I have is the showbread that's here that is supposed to only be for the priest. But the priest said, I am going to give you the showbread. Why? Because love your neighbor as yourself is more important than that this bread should only be for the priests. Here, you may have it. And David took it and ate some of it and gave it to the men with him. And then we won't go in. David says, do you have any weapons here? I had to leave Jerusalem so fast, I didn't even bring it. Well, yes, we have the sword of Goliath. Oh, there's no weapon like that. I'll take that. That's another sermon, because then he goes straight to Goliath's hometown with Goliath's sword. Okay, that's another sermon. Okay, but... Love your neighbor as yourself takes precedence over the other laws. And so Jesus punches them right in the face with what they should have known. These religious leaders. And so then they get into the synagogue where they've been going. Chapter 3, verse 1, And he entered the synagogue again. This may be Capernaum synagogue. is a synagogue again. And a man was there 
with a withered hand. It's all dried up, this, this withered hand. So they, so they, the religious leaders, watched him closely, whether he would heal on the Sabbath. How dare you? How dare you? Don't you dare heal someone on the Sabbath. Are you going to do that work on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? And he said to the man with the withered hand, step forward. Then he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? Pretty straightforward. What would be the good work? Healing him. What would be the evil work? Not healing him when I can would be flat out evil. Which should I do? Should I obey the spirit of the law or should I obey the letter of the law? And notice what it says when he says this. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silent. And when he had looked around at them with anger, he is really hacked off at these people. They're hard, hard, these religious leaders with such hard hearts. And he is angry at, the, at them because they are embracing the hardness of their heart. Their self-righteousness, their status in the culture is more important to them than that that man should be healed. And Jesus is angry at them. Being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. As he reached out, suddenly his hand became like the other. A flat-out miracle right in front of them. Then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. Wait a minute. This is Pharisees and who? Herodians. Well, Galilee was under the authority of Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas, while he was superficially Jewish, he was not Jewish ethnic, ethnically, but he had embraced the Jewish religion, supposedly, because after all, I'm governing Jews. I'm going to make that as easy on myself as possible. But he has really got a horrible reputation. But the Pharisees, the Jews of Jews, the most self-righteous, they go and they link up with this guy that everybody goes, oh, Herod Antipas? Yuck. But that's how much of a threat Jesus was to them. They're willing to line up shoulder to shoulder with this guy that is repugnant to the Jewish culture because Jesus is such a threat. Verse 7, Then Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great multitude from Galilee followed him, and from Judea and Jerusalem and Indumea and beyond the Jordan and those from Tyre and Sidon. A great multitude, when they heard how many things he had, was doing, came to him. Folks, Tyre and Sidon, that's way up in Lebanon. That is Jezebel's hometown. 
<laughs> home area. That's not a Jewish area. People are coming from everywhere to this fellow Jesus. A great multitude, when they heard how many things he was doing, came to him. <clears throat> so he has told his disciples that a so he told his disciples that a small boat should be kept ready for him because, the multi, because of the multitude, lest they should crush him. That's how many, how gigantic the crowd is. For he healed many, so that as many as had afflictions pressed about him to touch him. And the unclean spirits, which they when they saw him, fell down before him and cried out, saying, You are the Son of God. But he sternly warned them that they should not make him known. Jesus is going on and on and on, and people are coming. They're coming for their immediate problems to be remedied. I have this, I'm demon-possessed, or I am have this illness, or I am a leper who needs to be cleansed, they're coming for this. He's preaching the gospel to them, but he is doing these attending miracles, signs that only God could do. But this is, this is what's going on, the turbulence there in, but it's a mighty turning by these people, and they're seeing, if, you know, if God can cleanse me of leprosy, this sin problem that I have, perhaps he can address that also. And Jesus is telling them over and over and over again, yes, he can, yes, he can, yes, he can. Repent and believe the gospel, the good news. And they, what is the gospel? Ladies and gentlemen, the gospel is found in the Hebrew Scriptures, is found in the, God, in the prophets. The most clear statement about the gospel you'll find in any of the, any of the, any of the Bible is Isaiah 53, written 700 years before Jesus' coming. What does it say in Isaiah 53? All, well, it's a clear statement. All, let me just quote one verse, 53.6. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. All, everybody. And the Lord has laid on him, the Redeemer, has laid on him the iniquity of us all. When you present his soul, the labor of his soul, the torment of his soul as your offering, he, God, will see the outcome of what he did and he will forgive you. What did John the Baptist say about Jesus? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That is who Jesus is. That's what he will do on the cross. And that was the core of John's message. That was the core of Jesus' own message about himself. I can forgive your sins. I know what I'm going to accomplish for you on the cross. I have the freedom to forgive you. Are you in favor of that? I'll take that. I'll take that. Well, Lord willing, if Jesus doesn't yank us out of here before next Sunday, uh, we will pick up with chapter 3 and verse 20 next time. Excuse me, uh, 13. 
3.13 next time. And all God's people said, Amen. Our Lord Jesus, what is our core responsibility, our principal responsibility in this world? It's to replicate you. It's to give the gospel, the good news truth, to everyone that you enable us to rub shoulders with. We are asking that this week you would give us more than one opportunity, more than one open door to share the good news with someone. And if necessary, you'll shove us through the door. That we will speak out those words that you have purposed for that person to hear. And Lord, may we be privileged to be used by you in that way. We ask that we would be replicas in our lives today of what you were and the apostles were in, that, in those former days. We ask this of you, good shepherd, redeemer, and all God's people said, amen.